0: Welcome to the Pardes Parsha Podcast. My name is Tzvi Hirschfeld, and I have the distinct privilege and pleasure of discussing the profound analysis and deep insights into the Parsha from my wonderful colleagues at the Pardes Institute. So glad you could join us. Hello everyone, Shana Tova. This is Tzvi Hirschfeld, and I am delighted to be joined by a repeat performer, Rabbi Amirit Rosen, who is not only the uh, rabbi of Kilat Moreshet Avraham in Armon HaNatziv, but also a Pardes faculty member and a terrific podcaster. And uh, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Tzvi. It's a pleasure to
0: join you. So here we are. And what a great podcast to join. The finishing of the Chumash, right? Zot HaBracha, the last parsha of the Torah, Simchat Torah. Here we are. And as we might expect... The ending is significant.
1: Absolutely. We end with the blessings of Moses to the people. And I would like to talk about the end of the ending, the last basuk that the Torah finishes with.
0: The very last words we're going to hear from Moshe or from the author of Devarim, right? This is it, and we're going to focus in on quite literally the last sentence or two of the Torah.
1: Absolutely. So the Torah ends with, Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom God knew face to face. And the last words are, For all the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed before all Israel. And then we will say, chazak, chazak, venit chazek, may we go from strength to strength. And Rashi, the commentator of the Torah, has an intriguing last commentary to say on these last words of the Torah. The Torah is closing with these words, you would think these are summary words to create a sense of wholeness. A sense that we are at a full ending. But Rashi says that the words for all the great might and awesome power that Moses displayed before all Israel, what is that? These are the tablets that Moses decided to shatter when he saw the people dancing around the golden calf. This is the awesomeness that Moses displayed before all Israel.
0: So, so many strange things here. So, number one, the Torah is finishing, not talking about God, but talking about Moshe. Not even about the Jewish people, focusing in on Moshe, who is the one person at the end of the story that is not continuing on. So, we're leaving Moshe behind, and that's how we finish. There's something about Moshe that's very important. And then you're saying Rashi, instead of choosing to interpret this in a more general way, you know, great things that Moshe has done, he actually hones in on a terribly painful episode. According to Rashi, the last line of Humash is bringing us back to the episode of the worst failure of the Jewish people, the golden calf, and this action of Moshe to break the tablets. Why would Rashi think that that's the last image the Torah wants to leave us with.
1: The breaking of the tablets is so significant because now as we are ending the Torah, finishing the last words of the written Torah, you would think that it is the words of the Torah itself, the parchment, the actual Sefer Torah, which is the most holy and important religious artifact that we need to preserve. The Word of God. But Rashi is telling us that it's not the parchment, it's not the actual writing of the Torah that is important, it's the meaning that the Torah has, the meaning and importance that the Torah has to our lives. Because The commentators, our sages, needed to explain how could Moshe break the tablets with God's words on them, written by God? How could he have thought to do such a thing? Even seeing the people dancing around the golden calf, worshipping the golden calf. How could he have done that? And we're even told in the Yerushalmi, in the Jerusalemite Talmud, that Moshe was holding the tablets on one side and either God or others were trying to take it and hold it back. But at the end, Moshe realized that if he doesn't break these tablets then the people will just worship the tablets themselves, the parchment itself, the word itself, and not realize what the words of God are calling us to be.
0: Unpack this a little bit. For Rashi's perspective, the centrality here is not Moshe as a passive receiver of Torah, but Moshe as an educator, leader, decision maker, who has to decide what to do with the Torah. And he actually thinks that to give the people the word of God now in the state that they were in would be more harmful. So it's very strange. What you're saying is that the end of the book is celebrating Moshe as an innovator as opposed to simply a vessel.
1: Absolutely. The last words are celebrating Moshe as a deconstructor. Not as a reconstructor, not as the person who is a vehicle helping us understand the Word of God, bringing to us the Word of God, but celebrating Moses also as the one who broke the tablets, as the one who God says afterwards, meaning that it was the right thing to break the tablets at that moment so that people actually learn the right way to behave, learn the Word of God as their call to behave in a kind and just way, not just to worship the Torah. We're not here to worship the five books of Moses. We're not here to worship the scrolls themselves. But what is written in the scrolls the study of the torah and what rashi is also celebrating he is celebrating our oral law the understanding of generations and generations of the torah and as every generation understands the torah in a new way according to that generation's needs according to that generation's understandings that is what Rashi is celebrating here.
0: So the breaking of the Torah, it's not just a destructive act of wiping out something that was there before. If I understand you correctly, the breaking of the Torah is symbolically the breaking of an old meaning to make space for a new meaning. It's a creative act, or it makes space for a creative act. In a way, if I take what you're saying to the end, that Moshe believed on some level that people would now need a different Torah than the one that he received from God. And he wasn't afraid to make that decision for himself and his generation.
1: Absolutely. The Sfatimet brings a Hasidic interpretation that says that if the first tablets were not broken, we wouldn't have received the second ones. And when we think about it, Moses knew what was written in the first tablets. The second tablets are kind of a restudy, a chavruta with God, learning again what is written and rewriting it. And the Sfat says that sometimes our first understanding can be irrelevant to us. But when we are able to reinterpret, to see things with new eyes, then the Torah shines to us again. Then the Torah can be relevant again to our lives. A beautiful saying that the Rashbam, the grandson of Rashi, quotes Rashi saying. The Rashbam says that Rashi said if he could only have written a commentary every year in order to bring the new literal understandings that he himself understands in every year. What I love about that saying, it it may be questionable as to how literal Rashi's commentary actually is, as we know that he brings so much Midrash. But what I think is beautiful about the saying that literal meanings renew themselves every day, how can a literal meaning renew itself every day? It means that when the person who is reading the literal meaning changes, then the meaning itself changes. And so, as we change every year, as the generations change, so the Torah renews itself every day. But for that, we have to study and learn the Torah and not just worship the scroll the Torah is written upon.
0: You know, it's particularly ironic because the Rashbam, of course, broke new ground by writing a pshat-driven pshat driven commentary, unlike his grandfather who wrote a Midrash-driven commentary. And what you're revealing, I think, in a way is how perhaps for the Rashbam, and maybe even Rashi was confessing for himself, all that Midrash had all that wisdom in it, but also it hemmed him in. It prevented him from writing something new. He felt he was limited, perhaps. I have no idea. Rashi did not tell me this. Neither did the Rashbam. But that he was limited by the wisdom of the earlier generations and applying that to the verses. And maybe he was telling his grandson, I wish I'd had the courage or the time to really break free of that to some degree and write something new. Even though it's based on the quote unquote Pshat, the awareness that Pshat can be new, a simple reading can be new, and that he was maybe bemoaning the first tablets that were weighing him down, which at his point was already rabbinic commentary, right? But that oral law can also be a type of first tablets, right? That the next generation can feel limited by all the previous generations. And then maybe Rashi was sort of confessing, I wish I'd had the freedom to look at all this from a different perspective.
1: Absolutely. And I also feel that Rashi is speaking from a personal level, saying that even his own interpretation of past years is limiting for him, because people are reading his past interpretation and understanding things as he understood them. But now... few years later he understands them differently and i think this is such a beautiful message for each and every one of us sometimes we can be limited by the way we have been or the way we have understood something so far the way people think that we understand something that can be limiting for us And Rashi is expressing that we shouldn't be limited even by our own understanding, but be open ourselves to new understandings. So not
0: only previous generations, but even our own previously formed ideas. We have to not be afraid to break our own tablets uh, to look for a, a second Torah. So I have to ask you this question, and I think you're the perfect person to address it. On the one hand, what you're suggesting is very freeing and open, the possibility of deconstructing and reconstructing and renewing and finding new meanings. What is the pushback on that? Do you ever find that there are readings or interpretations that you wouldn't see as, I don't even know the right word, authentic or acceptable or that should be included? Are there lines to the way we interpret. Like an extreme example, of course, I would say as a Jew, a Christian reading of the prophets that confirms Jesus as Messiah or as God. For me, I wouldn't be able to include that reading in my sense of Torah, even though Christians clearly would. It's an extreme example, but it sort of helps you understand what I mean. What for you are the lines that help you sort of maintain this this balance or a sense of not everything is possible in how we read the Torah?
1: For me, the line, is interpretations that enhance the kindness of our hearts and minds and our pursuit of care and of peace and of justice. There are also historical understandings, you could say, of how the Torah got constructed. But I'm talking about the interpretations that we take for ourselves of what we think is meaningful for us. And what the torah wants from us and what the torah wants from us and in tractate yoma there is a beautiful interpretation to what it means you shall love your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your might what does that mean to love god does god need our love and the interpretation that is given there Shem may god's name be made beloved by you And what are the examples that are given there? If a person speaks badly to other human beings, hurtful to other human beings, deceitful, then people will say, is this your Torah? Is this what that person studied? And that is a desecration of God's name. But when a person behaves kindly with all human beings, The tractate is specific there speaking about briot all human beings and when they are behaving in a kind way that is making god's name holy because then people say wow look at that torah how it is creating a kindness within people wow and look at that person that studied and how caring they are it must be because they are learning this from their Torah. So Tractate Yoma is saying to us, what is that Sargel? what is- The ruler. That ruler. What is the rule? What is the boundary that is in fact our checking point of our interpretation?
0: You know, it's very powerful. And uh, I have it on the source sheet, which you guys don't have, I'm sorry, but you mentioned a Ramban about doing what is right and what is good in the eyes of God. And he also quotes that, Gemara and Yoma. But I wanna just push a little bit because I sometimes find people don't agree on what is right and what is good. In other words, sometimes the person is acting in a way that I might find very problematic and hurtful, But they might think, no, I'm pursuing the good. And the fact that you're stopping me is what's making it hurtful. I don't know, I'm sort of thinking uh, all over the place. But what do you do then? Do you ever find you're in a position where you can't even get agreement as to what is good?
1: Yes, as a rabbi of a community, we're often posed with that question because in a community, there are people that the community, many in the community feel that the community and the synagogue is their home. And they want the best for their community and for their home and they don't agree about what is the best thing and what is the right thing to do and as a rabbi of a community i need to be very respectful and also see with care the people who are part of the community that see the community as their home and at the same time I am called upon by what I believe and also as my position to lead in what I believe is the way of justice and of peace and of righteousness.
0: So you can't be afraid to be your own Moshe.
1: Absolutely. And I can give an example that as a community and as a person who believes in interfaith dialogue, We are taking part in uh, an event where Jews and Muslims and Christians who have experienced hate crimes are coming together to pray together for the peace of Jerusalem. There are people in the community that feel that this is a political statement and that are unhappy, about our community taking part in this kind of activity in Jerusalem. And as a rabbi, I need to be there to hold with care and to listen to people's feelings. And I can sympathize with those feelings because another event which I don't agree with was put up to cover the poster that we put up to call people to come to our event. And I could see the clench in my tummy and in my jaw to see the poster that I don't agree with. And I could just imagine how those people in the community felt when they saw the poster that I put up.
0: So basically what you're saying, if I understand you correctly, is it doesn't change your view, but you feel called upon also to make space at least for those who are gonna see it differently than you.
1: Exactly, and also I understand as myself, I take that as a learning for myself. The interpretation that I take from that is that I also need to do an internal process within the community, that when I am pushing towards the way which I believe that we should go upon as Jews living in Jerusalem showing solidarity with all those that suffer hate crimes. I understand that I also need to do internal work with my community to bring it up to discussion with a board, with a community, so that people can share their feelings. But at the same time, of course, to lead the path towards what I believe is a Torah, which is not just for rituals, And not a Torah just to enjoy an interesting theoretical discussion, but that is calling us to take action to make this world a better place.
0: Wow. That sounds harder, actually, than the first one, which is just about, you know, interesting discussion, but uh, probably more meaningful. So that leads me to the question, here we are, it always strikes people that we finish the Torah, Right, but then to show very actively we're not finished. We're going to read the beginning of Sheet right now just to show that the cycle never ends. So we're going into a new cycle. At the same time we're closing off this one, we are going into another cycle of reading the Torah fresh. And I guess I want to ask you, as you now look towards the coming year, in what ways would you like to read the Torah in a fresh way? Or what is the, the fresh reading or new reading or inspired reading that you want to now take with you into this coming year.
1: Thank you, Tzvi. As you're talking also about starting the cycle again, I'm thinking to myself, usually when we finish a book, we say, okay, we've read that book. Here, we are starting a new cycle of reading the five books of Moses again, the book of the Torah. What does that mean? That means, in fact, that we are reading To have new understandings. Again, a deep belief in the fact that as we read it again, new understandings will open up to us. And what is my hope for new understandings from the Torah? My hope is that I will be able to receive that standing that I believe in. Yes, to be a place to contain different feelings a home for all those that feel part of the community and those that come visit the community, but also to be able to push the boundaries, to push the boundaries of what I believe is right, what I believe is good, even if it creates some discomfort, also within myself, of course, at creating discomfort for others, and for others, of course, that this is not what they would agree with, but I feel that that is really what Rashi is telling us about Moshe. That is what is called upon each and every one of us. The Torah tells us that Moshe was a human being, so that we won't worship Moshe. And Moshe is telling us, don't worship the parchment of the Torah. Do what you think is right, even if it may be radical, but if it is done in order to push the boundaries of the goodness of this world, I hope that I will be brave enough and have the standing and the heart to lead as well as contain all the different feelings and to be able to contain the discomfort also for myself and also for others because to create a space that is always comfortable, there's something so lovely about that, but of course that can also be a bit of a stagnation. And my hope is not to be too tempted by the comfort of doing what everyone feels happy about, but also the strength of heart to do what I believe is right.
0: Two things about what you're saying struck me just now. The first is the irony of the hope that this ancient fixed text is precisely what can inspire you to be dynamic and a change agent and expand boundaries. And what a wonderful image, very Jewish image of how this ancient fixed thing is actually meant to be the inspiration to make something new. And the other thing that occurred to me is i used to ask myself i think some communities did have the custom of finishing the torah on shavuot like that would seem to be the natural time right when we receive the torah is when we should finish and start again but i'm going to apply that to what you're saying now the joy of the torah is not in receiving the fixed torah that's an important event and that gets everything started but at least the joy of your torah which I hope is also the joy of mine and others as well, is the dynamism that comes with having Torah. It's not that we're just going to sit and hold on to this fixed thing or put it on a shelf. But the joy is in how this Torah is always alive and pushing us to grow and rethink and reinterpret all the time. It reminds me that someone told me in certain Hasidic communities, they tell people to do a hakafat holding a gemara as opposed to holding the safer Torah, which I feel like is so appropriate, right? In other words, the Torah that you love that gives you joy is the oral Torah, right? That's the one where we find the growth and the change and the dynamism. You know, of course the fixed Torah is central, but we are not Jews of the written law. We fundamentally live our lives as Jews of this oral law.
1: Sometimes people have told me that when Jews dance with the Torah, it looks like they're holding a baby. And often, you know, we also, we dress the Torah and we hold it with care. And we, of course, are making sure that, you know, we don't drop it, you know, as one holds a baby also to be careful not to drop it. And I think to myself that as we hold a baby, our great hopes is that the baby grows and develops. Beautiful. And that is our great hope for our Torah, that it's not stuck in a museum, not stuck in our Aaron kodesh of course protected in our aron kodesh but there to grow and expand and it grows and expands through us because when we say that the torah has 70 facets 70 ways of understanding how do those understandings come about it's when people are learning the torah when human beings are learning the torah Their faces are bringing the different facets, the different understandings to the Torah. So the Torah is alive and grows through us.
0: You know, it occurs to me that you have really posited a couple of things here for me, which are very, very important, Mm -hmm. and I need to think about more. Number one, your whole approach is built on a tremendous amount of emunah of faith in us. Uh, In other words, your trust that we will do good things with this Torah, that we can trust our intuitions, we can trust our feelings, we can trust our own innate goodness and apply that to the Torah and it will go in a good direction. So number one, there's a tremendous amount of faith in us, which I feel is lacking out there somehow. I think we have a lot of mistrust towards others and maybe even fundamentally a lot of mistrust in ourselves. And again, the idea that the Torah is not here just to teach us a past history, that this closing of the Torah isn't not talking about Moshe, so we should remember Moshe with tremendous respect and fondness and awe. I'm sure that's there also, but that we have to emulate Moshe, and we have to be like Moshe. And I think, again, that requires a tremendous confidence, and it sounds scary when I say it, but what you're showing us here is that is what Moshe wanted. He wanted the Jewish people to do what he did and not only do what he said. And I think that that's a very powerful message. And the last thing is that it's hard, but it can also bring simcha. This message you're sharing with us is connected to Simcha Torah. So for you, the idea of challenge and growth and difficulty, it doesn't make you sad makes you happy.
1: It does. I can't say that it doesn't give sometimes a tummy ache, especially as I personally hate to give discomfort to people. And when I feel I've given someone else a tummy ache, it makes me really have a tummy ache as well. But I do think that the sense of simcha in connecting our presence and sense of life sense of vitality in the world with meaning brings such a sense of deep joy rabbi jonathan sachs in his book healing a fractured world says that when we can connect what gives us a sense of vitality a sense of life with what is called upon us to do then that's the place where god wants us to be And I can say that when I feel that I am working towards making people feel better or making more peace and justice in the world, then even though it does bring some butterflies to one's stomach, it does also create a sense of joy. The Ramban that you quoted writes in his commentary that we shall do the right and the good thing in the eyes of God, he writes there specifically that the Torah is not able to write all the things in the world that we have to do. We have to learn from what the Torah has written and apply it to the things that the Torah has not written. And I think that that is really the challenge the deep challenge, but also the joy.
0: Okay, so once again, we are left with a challenge here. Rabbi Amirit is telling all of you, when you feel that nervousness over having to take that step and innovate or do something or make a change or grow and bring more goodness into the world, even though you know that it could result in inner conflict, external conflict, challenge, and your stomach has got that tummy ache in it, then you know you're on the right path to joy. It's the joyous tummy ache that uh, we are uh, supposed to search for. Uh, And I find that challenging, uh, but I also find it very inspiring. And first of all, Marie, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. And sharing that. And I guess we want to bless all of you with an upcoming year, really, of a lot of joyous tummy aches.
1: Amen. Amen.
0: All right, everybody, have a wonderful Simchat Torah, and we look forward to starting the book of Breshit with you right away. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to the Pardes Parsha podcast, recorded here at Nomi Studios in Jerusalem. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and gained some new insights and perspectives on the Torah portion. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode. Your feedback helps us reach more people with these important conversations. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to exploring the Torah with you again next week on the Pardes Parsha podcast. Shabbat Shalom.